Welcome to uh, Loaded Mag in UFC, uh, and it is a very much uh, away day special uh, this evening as we preview the Liverpool game. And you know what? I'm still taking a bit of a breath from um, the the fantastic, you know, super goal from Alan Sit Maximin uh, yesterday. Um, I was there in the away end um, at Molyneux. Uh, like I say, still getting my breath back. I'm still counting the cuts and bruises from uh, celebrating the wonder strike on the 90th minute. But um, look, in the Premier League these days, um, it is a very quick turnaround with, with matches. And we are back again, midweek special, Liverpool on Wednesday evening at Anfield. Um, and we'll be discussing all things um, Newcastle United and Liverpool. But for everyone in the chat already, welcome tonight. Uh, get your questions in um, for, for Neil and I'll bring him in very shortly. Uh, lots of questions, uh, lots of opinions, as always. But look, there's only one way in which we preview a game and we get the opposition's view. So it's a pleasure to welcome in, not for the first time, um, Neil Atkinson from uh, the Anfield Raps. So welcome in, Neil. How are you doing? Good evening, Pete. Good evening, everyone. Uh, very, very well indeed. Looking forward to Wednesday. It's nice to have the quick turnaround. It's our first, We've played Monday night, but it's our first midweek game of the season. And we got very used last season to playing every three days, every four days, and you wouldn't get a break. And we've had, it's been odd, but from this point onwards, uh, we play every midweek from now until the World Cup. So we've got to enjoy it. Definitely. Um, and look, I'm, I'm not complaining. Uh, it's been a long, long number of weeks without any sort of competitive football. So the fact that it's back and back with Avengers, I'm not complaining at all. But it is a very quick turnaround. Um, uh, but but first, first and foremost, you know, um, there's been a lot of talk about Liverpool this season. Not made the fiery start that everyone, I think, expected um, that you to make. Obviously, you know, a few yeah. draws in there. And the defeat at, at Old Trafford, uh, but then you go and hit Bournemouth for, for nine. You know, how do you assess your start? Um, you know, of the season so far, Neil. I mean, in general, across the four games, it's been poor. You know, uh, we're, we don't have the luxury because of what we want to achieve this season. We don't have, you know, we go into 37 games needing to win them. Uh, the exception is away at the Etihad. Every other game we go in with the idea that we, we, we need to get three points from this. Now, you're not going to win 37 out of 38 games. But, we, you know, the attitude, that's where the attitude is for us and it's what we need. So... Ultimately, you know, there's no other way to look at it, but disappointing, it feels like two points dropped at Fulham. It's two points dropped at home against Crystal Palace. And then the thing about Old Trafford is, listen, you can get beat at Old Trafford. Um, you know, 
Liverpool versus Manchester United, Manchester United versus Liverpool, you know, in the same way that for us, Goodison Park is a really difficult place to go. Old Trafford, no matter what nick there, it'll be a difficult place to go for us. And it was always going to be even tougher off the back of what happened to them against Brentford. They weren't going to be that meek again, but we were really poor. Uh, and we showed, I think, a lack of just a lack of application over the course of the ninety minutes. So that becomes even more disappointing. But then from there, you know, obviously it feels as though a bit more made sense tactically against Brentford, and simultaneously you score nine goals. Now, listen, you're, you're lucky to score nine. Someone's going to, you know, for three or four seasons, I've been saying someone's going to get whacked at Anfield, and they're the side that have got whacked. But there's an own goal in there. There's two long shots in there. Our first two shots go in. We score from two set pieces over the course of the game. You know, one there's days where every everything goes right and then suddenly you win 9-0 and that's what happened in the end now that's not to say we didn't deserve to win we very much did but you know sometimes it just all comes together really really nicely and that happened to be uh, Saturday so you know it's it's it's, a, it's an underwhelming start to the season but obviously Saturday is absolutely incredible you don't get many nines it is fair to say so with a bit of luck you know that's the start of the season that we need we kick on from here I think having another game quick is good news for us I think it's less good news for Newcastle because they've got a couple of injury issues that have emerged that weren't there even a week and a half ago so I think you know I'm, I'm looking forward to Wednesday night but I'm also looking forward to a game of football because the thing that's different about Newcastle since Eddie Howe's got in is they'll go at you and they'll try and win it back and they'll have a plan themselves and what that means is there could be space the other side so we know we'll be in for it it'll be a difficult game but in a way the idea that Newcastle will come with a plan and I want to be front foot I think helps us because it means that we're going to be in a contest and Newcastle aren't just going to put 11 behind the ball and hang on for dear life. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, hopefully by the end of this week, we beat Newcastle, we beat Everton. And it's then three wins, uh, three wins from the first six, uh, two draws and one defeat. And that's still not the start we need, but it's a damn sight better than only one win from four. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not wrong. And, you know, you made some, you made some good points um, as well. You know, like you said, you talked about the Man United game. They, they can always go either way, regardless of people's uh, form and, and how they're performing in the league. It's one of those things. Um, but yeah, uh, you've also mentioned about Newcastle United it not being an easy game. Now, look, we'll get into the injuries and and, and the, the likelihood of the formations and tactics um, later on in the show. But you are right. You know, we are... A, a different entity now. It wasn't our best performance by any stretch. If you, if you watch the game at Molyneux yesterday, it was not our, our best performance. But what you what you would have seen or what you may have seen, certainly Newcastle fans have seen this and those in the chat will, will agree with me, is that if you looked at the stats, we went to Molyneux and had 63% possession. We had more shots than them. Yep. You know, we, we, we created more chances than them, more corners, all of those things. You know, it says to us that we're going in the right direction because we're not going to get into to grounds like Molyneux. That's not an easy place to go. It's not we're at not all. Going there, and we're we're not sitting back. Um, and that's the beauty of it. And actually, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil. There was an element of that when we went to Anfield last season. You know, we didn't sit back as such, and we actually took the lead um, against you guys. So you may have already seen a little flavour of what Newcastle is likely to be, even last season. Yeah, I think all that's fair. I think on the, on that game in particular, you know, you look at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Molyneux is a really difficult place to go. Um, we've always found it a difficult place to go. And at the minute, there's not a lot of action in Wolverhampton Wanderers' games. You know, it's it's something that's talked about with them. And I think they start last season, sorry, end last season poorly. But over a long period of time, you know, there's not there's not a lot of goal mouth action in either penalty area. But Newcastle made a fair bit of goal mouth action happen yesterday. And I think that that's to, to Newcastle's credit, uh, to be quite honest with you. You know, and I think that that's, 
one of the reasons why Newcastle will be, you know, a very difficult opponent for Liverpool on Wednesday night. I expect when we went to St. James's last season, you know, it was a tough game. Newcastle intense as anything for 15 minutes. It's actually one of our best performances of the season. It's certainly one of our best away performances in the second half of the season because the level of effectively professionalism, you know, we, we got ahead in the game and we managed to sort of to, to negate the intensity that Newcastle could offer in front of the vociferous crowd. It was a really solid away performance. And we'll have to be the same again, professional again, because I think the best thing about this Newcastle side is it looks to me as though there's a real lust, there's a real enjoyment of what it is that they're doing. They're, they're getting stuck in, in every single phase of the game. I don't just mean getting stuck in like putting the feet, foot in, but pass forward as much as humanly possible, look to be progressive all the time, look to look to put a show on for, for their own supporters, look to enjoy games. I think at times under Steve Bruce, it would be very fair to say this was not a Newcastle squad that was enjoying its football. Right now, Newcastle, they enjoy the football and whatever the result is on Wednesday night, I expect that Newcastle will have enjoyed the game uh, unless it goes ridiculous like that 9-0 against Bournemouth, which won't happen. I expect Newcastle will have enjoyed the will enjoy the game, will come away from it like it's been a good test. Because I think that Newcastle are in a strange situation where the pressure isn't entirely on yet uh, around getting regular results. I think there's an expectation that the side will come somewhere between seventh and twelfth. But there's, you know, there's a, there's, there's a massive gap between seventh and twelfth in lots of ways, and it allows you to go into games against teams like Liverpool and have the attitude of let's see how good we are, rather than have the attitude of let's not let the worst happen. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, and it's it's what Eddie Howe is slowly trying to build at the club. He's trying to build that mentality. We've had a mentality of just sitting back and hoping for the best in terms of not conceding too yep. many goals. Like you've alluded to, we are we are a completely different type of team now and it's about how we can go and cause the opposition problems. Um, and I think there'll be an element of that. But, you know, uh, Charles, um had uh, mentioned something before um, it, sort of in the in the comments, and I'll, I'll I'll go. Sorry, it was Jano. I'll go back to it. Um, is that you know ultimately going into this game at Anfield on Wednesday? Uh, Jano said he's gone from being optimistic because Liverpool lost their new striker, and we'll talk about Nunes in a second through suspension, to complete dread because we're going to be missing the kind of the spine of the team, and 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 it looks like we are in, in, in a sense, but still. We had players missing against Wolves. It, you know, it did affect us in terms of the output and the in the ultimate quality, but the endeavour and the effort and the structure maintained. And you're you're absolutely right. The structure was still there, and we still tried to maintain that. And I think everyone seems to be buying into that right now. And 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 you know, I just want to get your thoughts on it because the same was under Klopp when he first took over at Liverpool. Is that you had to kind of change the mentality and uh, and maintain that structure? Was it was it was it a similar situation for you guys? Yeah, I think I think the best thing, the thing that you you know, the best thing that can happen is first and foremost, everyone feels as though they're on a journey, and everyone is as one on the way that the team is meant to play. And by as what by everyone being as one, what I mean is, I mean obviously the players, coaching staff, but also transfer staff. Also scouts, also analysts, and then also, frankly, all structure of the club, you know, in the, the hierarchy of the club, and then supporters as well. That everyone's into this and everyone can go with this, whatever this may be. And Jürgen had a couple of big results quite early um, and they helped and they helped when he wasn't getting good results at times. You know, we got a good away win at Chelsea, a good away win at Manchester City in Jürgen's first season. And I think building over a period of time, that's that understanding and and collective feeling 
is a massive part of the trick. It's a massive part of the trick that the manager will need to do. And especially at a club like Newcastle, everyone's got to feel as though they're on the same page. And I think that if everyone does, then you've just got a better chance of successful stop. But also it makes it more fun. Uh, I think that's the key thing, and that's the that's that's the core the core little bit here. Where I think over a period of time, if if Howe is able to to build that up, then I think he'll 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 be able to to coalesce everyone into feeling as though they're all moving in the same direction. It's really interesting to me on the structure points. You know, I'm without sort of getting into the ins and outs of all the players who've moved into the Premier League from abroad um, across the last arguably year and a half. There's a lot of chat about Liverpool and midfield. The one I wish we got is Gimeres. Um Seeing Newcastle against Wolves, where Longstaff plays where Gimeres would tend to be. Listen, Longstaff's not as good as him, and that's fine, you know, because Gimeres is a really, really good player. But what's interesting is that Newcastle still function. So it isn't as though Longstaff comes in and everything goes badly wrong. It isn't as though Longstaff comes in and they can't play on the front foot. It isn't as though Longstaff comes in and they can't look to dominate proceedings at Molyneux. Quite the opposite, in fact. They double down on it. And that's a sign of things working. So, you know, if that's repeated again at Anfield, uh, and then I think at the, at the weekend you've got Crystal Palace, if I remember rightly, if across those two games, you know, you get to see the same footprint of a football team, the same idea of what a football team's meant to be without a really exciting quality midfield like Gimeres, without Shelby as well on top of that. If the side still plays the way in which which brings excitement and joy to the Newcastle supporters, even if you know you take one point from those two games hypothetically, you know, obviously I hope we win on Wednesday night and then you say you got a point against Palace. Even if that happened, even if the side has hard lines against Palace, there's still those to be pleased about because the, the what they're doing is they're putting into action the plan that everyone's committed to, that Trippy is committed to, that the manager's committed to, that Callum Wilson, whether he's playing or not, is committed to, and that you're all committed to. And that I think is the is the test for how really is that it's got to be a matter of it's easy to say this, but not that you've got to play the same way every single game, but sort of no compromises off the back of off the back of one or two players missing. It's still got to be known that this is this is you've got to. I've always sort of said this about football teams and, and, and my time with Liverpool is that you move from delusion to hope to belief over a period of time. Uh, and in the same way, when you're trying to build a football team, you've got to you've got to have the way you want to do it. You've then got to succeed or fail in that way, but all believe in it, and then from there it'll become a success. Because it's only when you get the learned experience and then you work out what you need to tweak, what, what footballer does fit, what footballer doesn't fit, where you need to strengthen. When you see it in the hole, you can't quite work out what you need to do differently, I think, if you're not actually trying to do the thing that you want to do. And I think all of that's what you're seeing from Newcastle. It's why I think Wednesday will be a good game. But it's also why you know I, I think that Newcastle are in for a really good season. Um, I think it could be a really, really good campaign. And it's not about uh, necessarily personnel. Obviously, Sam Maximan makes Newcastle better. He make a lot of football teams better. But I think sort of building this character and this this identity for this team, I think is is firstly how's best achievement so far. But secondly, he could end this season with it being a really good achievement too. I think that last two or three minutes of what you've just said, I think, I hope, and I hope, you know, we've got 150 in the chat watching the show at this moment in time. Um, and I hope every Newcastle fan are watching that little clip because I think what you said is absolutely spot on about where Newcastle United need to be in terms of their progression. And you've seen it from a Liverpool perspective. So you know exactly what you're talking about, Neil. And I think it's a really, really good point is that regardless of whether our best players are not in there, as long as those players that come in know the job, know the identity of the team and what they are expected to do in their role. That is what that is what matters. And I think you've alluded to that fact, and it's a really, really good point. You also touched on 
you're expecting Newcastle United to have a good season. And Russell Thomas has come in with, with an early question for you. He's gone, question for Neil, where do you think Newcastle can finish this season? And would that be above Manuel? On that, I think I, I wouldn't worry about the position too much. I think working out what we think is a good point all is a starting point. So let's sort of do this in a, in a really in a really basic way. So far, Newcastle have played four. They've won one and they've drawn three. Uh, they've had hard lines around the draws, arguably against Wolves and to an extent against Manchester City, although City's class showed in the last sort of 20 minutes or so. Uh, they've got a good draw against Brighton because Brighton could be the best team in the world. So I think, I think you know, but, but they've won the other game. What I think in there, I'd say, is what do we think about 60 points? And by all means, put it in the chat. What would you think of 60 points? To understand 60 points, 60 points is winning 18 of your of your 38 league games and picking up six draws. Maybe even a few more there. Maybe it's winning 17 and picking up 10 draws. Is 60 points good enough for this season? And then your question then becomes, how many do Manchester United get as to whether or not you're going to finish above or below them or put other sides in? Do you think 66 points is a good target? I'd say 66 is definitely winning 18 or 19 games, picking up some draws, losing some others. And I think that that's a good way to, to think about it. I think it's a better way to think about it than, than in, lots of, in lots of senses just thinking about the league position. Because the fact is, it's possible this season that five of the top six could well break 75 points and that United might not be that far behind them. At which point, you run out of points. You know, there's only so many points to go around. So what is or isn't a good season for Newcastle, I think, is is a points question. So Geordie Toon for Life just put in the comments there, 60 points is a great total. So if 60 points is a great total this season, the point of 60 points being a great total this season then becomes what you all should be doing when we talk next summer, is saying, all right, can we get to 72? It's only four more wins. But those four more wins will be really hard for because it's you've got it, you've got it, you build on your 60 and grow that to 72. And I, I you know, I, I'm certain these conversations will be having had by people behind the scenes within Newcastle. And then 60, you could also say 60 points and we want a cup run. You know, 60 points and the idea to get into a semi-final of either of the domestic cups as a minimum, would that feel like a good season? And if it would, I wouldn't worry about what Manchester United are doing in all seriousness at this point, because it's about what you're doing. And I think that, you know, in general, both on and off the pitch at times, we worry too much about what other teams are up to. You know, we worry too much about what other teams are doing in the transfer market. We worry too much about what sort of results certain sides get at the weekend. I know I worry too much about what Manchester City are doing. Um, genuinely, you know, at times I'd, I'd enjoy my football life a lot more if I just worried about what Liverpool were doing. So James Douglas has put in the chat with, with the World Cup, 65 points is great. So imagine getting to 65 points. 65 points, a domestic cup run, it's a really good season. What does next season hold? And it might be that 65 points gets you seventh, at which point it's Europa Conference. Amazing. Wouldn't that be great? Next year, there's European football at St. James's Park. Absolutely brilliant. And you just could win that. And then it becomes, all right, can we get to, can we break 70, 72 points and get to the semi-finals of the Europa Conference? Great. We've done that. We're now in the, in the Europa League places. Then what are we looking to do? All right, can we break 76? 76 is massive. It's two points a game. Can you get the other side of 76? And then from there, that's the that's the journey that matters. So I think worrying about worrying about other teams, I wouldn't I wouldn't do too much of it. There'll be games you'll win, games you'll lose, games you'll draw that you should win, games you'll draw that you should lose. But the the grand spell of the season is ultimately where the points total is. And, you know, ultimately we all hope Manchester United are rubbish enough that they only get 43 points. But the truth is we can only control what Man United are doing twice a season. We can only control what other teams are doing twice a season. So we've just got to do our thing. And Newcastle's thing, I think, this season is to break 60. And I think if Newcastle breaks 60, they'll probably be top eight, uh, maybe top seven. 
And then from there, there might be the opportunity to, as I say, if there's been a domestic cup run, it'll feel like a great season and it'll build on what it is that Howe's trying to do. And then everyone feels successful rather than worrying about breaking breaking a top six finish or something like that. I think you made a really, really good point. And look, I'm not the only one uh, I'm saying that. You know, uh, Ray said exactly. Focus on what we do uh, and pull together to achieve that success. JKG um, said spot on from Neil. Um, add to this um, point, we have Dan Ashworth in the background, making it so all academies, uh, all the academy has the same system. Um, you know, Jordi Tufloff already said 60 points. Um, you know, Ray, Ray said again uh, before that, great opinions and intelligent points. Well, it could go wrong, Ray. Let's not get carried away at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. And look, look, I have to say, and, and it's not the first time when you've, when you've been on, um, Neil, um, you know, our, our our guys and girls in the chat know their stuff. We we have shows with, with so many different podcasts and, and great opinions all around, and they know someone that knows their stuff about football. And I think it's a really, really good point in terms of where we build. And I'll, I'll just go back, actually, to this point here because we'll look at how the Premier League finished last season. So, yep. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll take the comment off. Just uh, let me go back. Yeah. Try and take the comment off just a second here. So we finished on 49 points. Bearing in mind, we gave teams a 14 game head start, 49 points. And, and to get in and around Europe, we were what seven points off when where West Ham were, um, that got Europa Conference. So we were seven points off Europe last season, even with yeah. a 14 game deficit that we had to fight back from. So if you're talking 60. And I'm not saying the season's going to finish this season exactly the same nope. as what it is right now, as what it was last season. But if you're looking at 60 points, 60 points gets you European football in most cases. And yeah, and what's really interesting is that West Ham there get 56 and they win 16 games, 16 out of 38. It doesn't feel like many. You know, it really doesn't. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, uh, to go to 38 league games, which, you know, I'm sure some of your some of your crowd do, to go to 38 league games and only see them win 16 times, you'd feel a bit like, well, hang on, how is that a good season? But West Ham last season felt like they had a great season. They had a real adventure in Europe. They finished seventh. They managed to continue to have European football. They had ups and downs they had they learned about the exertions of Europe and then trying to pull, put a league run together as well you know the, 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 it was a season where they'll have more information about the managers about the players about where they end up but it's still only 16 league wins if you make that 18 league wins if Newcastle make that 18 league wins or anyone else makes that 18 league wins and then you're also relatively tough to beat then we are beginning to then you know imagine a world there where it's it's a comfortable 64 65 66 points all of that is is progression and then it's about sustaining it. And that's, for instance, where I think West Ham are coming under a little bit of pressure this season, although I think they'll kick on from this point. It's interesting to me that if we have a little look, and and, and this will sort of, I think, be, be part of Wednesday night's game. Last weekend, the one just gone, is the first weekend this season where all of last season's top six won. It's interesting that, and West Ham won as well. And the reason why that's interesting is because every team had a midweek game even if it was only the second round of the AFL Cup, and the European teams, with the exception of West Ham, didn't. So all of a sudden there, we've got a weekend where all the big six teams win. And they all win in quite an interesting way. Manchester City come back from a from a losing position. Arsenal come back from a losing position. Chelsea come back against a Leicester side that are meant to be quite tidy when the when the well they win against a Leicester side when they're down to ten men in there as well. Manchester United um, and Tottenham both go to grounds where everyone afterwards talks about how well Southampton and Nottingham Forest played but they don't score a goal. 
and Liverpool put nine past Bournemouth. That, to me, is part of... That's the Empire striking back. And that's also what we're now going to face here is that there's a midweek game now. Liverpool are used to midweek games. We had so many of them last season. Then we've got Everton. Everton aren't used to midweek games, but now they've had two back-to-back. Newcastle are coming into their second back-to-back midweek game. My point here is that this Newcastle side, for the trajectory that you all want it to go on, they'll come a bit, a bit where, let's say this season they do finish seventh. The next season, part of the learning curve is how do we sustain breaking 60 points? Having domestic cup success to some degree, and European football. How do we do all of that across one season? How do we consolidate in the league and build in that way as well? Because I think that's a massive learning curve. And this season, the run to the World Cup, there's two or three weeks where there's uh, there's one more week with an EFL Cup game and a couple more weeks with uh, Premier League football midweek. And what you see, tend to see, on the third game of those runs is all the top six win. And the reason why all the top six win is the top six coaches, the top six analysts, the top six are just built and prepped, not least because of the players, but other things as well. The players themselves are built and prepped for the idea of playing this many games in a week. They've got the experience of it, this many tight games, this many intense games. If you're used to playing Champions League quarterfinals midweek, and then you get, for instance, and I don't mean to be disparaging, but you get Bournemouth away. Well, you're going to go into Bournemouth away feeling like, well, this is more straightforward than Napoli away. And then from there, I think that's, that's going to be the next phase of this for for West Ham last season I think you get to see it and at some point that'll happen to Newcastle as well if the journey towards European football continues and I see no reason why it wouldn't because as you say before where Newcastle end up last season suggests they're more than capable of putting a 60 point season in and we've just looked at that table from last season and we can say reasonably that'll get you seventh definitely and it's you know it's really interesting because you talked about how you know, the top teams tend to be the ones that win those type of games. And and you talked about how they're prepped and it's even down to the to the way in which they're trained. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're, they're trained. They are drilled to be able to play Sunday or Saturday, Wednesday, you know, Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday, Wednesday, like on a regular basis. And that's where a lot of teams fall flat. So you, when you get those teams, even like your Leicester cities, and Leicester didn't do too bad in Europe, but uh, Leicester is an example. Um, you know, they're the type of teams that after a while, because their squad cannot sustain the ability to play Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. That's why they then fall short. Those other teams, like your Wolves, for example, that have tasted European football, fall by the wayside is because yeah. they're not drilled and prepped to play at that level on a regular basis. And, and you're absolutely right. If we're going to be at the level we expect to be and what certainly the owners expect to be in the next few years, that's what we've got to get through is being able to do it. And, and I have to say, you know, um, West Ham have been able to maintain that this in the last couple of years. They've been the anomaly because I'll be honest with you, and I don't know what your thoughts are, Neil. I didn't expect West Ham to maintain that level, but they did. Uh, and, and that's what Newcastle United need to do. I think the thing that underpinned West Ham, and it's a really strange thing to say about a side managed by David Moyes, but I think one of the things that underpinned West Ham for 18 months was everyone was having a great time. And when you've got a set of footballers who are all having a great time and a crowd who are suddenly having a great time, then before you know where you are, sort of the success breeds success. I think it's really interesting to watch West Ham this season. They got the first win there at the weekend and it was a bit of a sticky game. It was always likely to be for them. I think I think there's a thing there where obviously you've got your gang of lads that have got you to where you want to get to, but you're trying to expand it. You're bringing in players like Skamaka and you're bringing in, they brought in the lad today, Lucas, what's his name? You know, they've sorted him out. And well, don't talk, don't mention his name on well, the Newcastle chat because there's, there's a lot of people mourning today. I think, I think the news has just been announced that he has 
sign. Well, so, the, the, um, to, 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 I wouldn't worry about it. There's loads of good footballers out there, and it's it's about getting the right ones and, and making the right ones suit you. But there is this, I think, you know, with West Ham as you expand the squad, as you get new players in who haven't been on that journey, can you sustain the journey then? Because a bit of that feel good that other players have had, maybe that'll begin to dissipate. But then it's a matter then of, of rebuilding and starting from there. I think West Ham will be fine this season, by the way. I think they'll finish top top sort of eight or nine, a similar points haul to last season, once all said and done. Um, I think they were slightly undermined by centre-half issues uh, come the end of the, come the end, sorry, the start of the season there, for instance, when they had City first game and, and they had no centre-halves and then Zuma had to play through injury. So I'm quite relaxed about that. Um, I think that you know they'll sort something out, but ultimately, I think that's that is that is where everyone attached to Newcastle wants to end up. And I think that you know allowing for that, therefore, you want to get the structures in right now. Ashworth's been mentioned; he's a good example. You want to get the framework in right, yeah. and then from there, then you know. It's not to say that it'll be a constant linear rise because I don't think it will, uh, because I just don't think that's how football works. There will be there'll be moments where things don't look like the work, and there might be a slow start to a season. There might be an in, there's every chance, not every chance, but there is a chance at least one Premier League side I think will, could well start uh, the post World Cup period with a bit of an injury crisis or injury headache. That could be Newcastle, but it could be someone else. It's a lottery, you know. Remembering that a lot of this is sport, that it's rolling the dice, that you can't plan for everything, you can't program everything all the way through, is a part of it. And you know, there's there's a chance that Jan- back end of December and all of January is a really weird month for 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 four or five sides in the division. Either in terms of one just getting an unbelievable run of results, or an, or another one really suffering, and you'd be surprised by all of that's really possible. So it's not going to be some sort of linear thing. But I think having structures and frameworks, identity, togetherness, all of that is the thing to build. And I think the best way to build that is actually slowly and certainly and foundations are key. And that's why I wouldn't worry about missing out on some lad um who might be might be good, might not be. You know, other football teams missed out on Gumeras. Um, and they're going to have to cop for that, but you got them that time. It might be that you get the next one of them. That's that's a real star. It might be that someone else gets that one who's a real star. But the overall sort of arc of progression should be positive, and I see no no reason why it won't be. And we're sitting here talking about a team who, who are unbeaten so far this season, and who you know, if you look at all trend lines since the you know since Eddie Howe's come in. You know, a trend in I'll say before somewhere between seventh and twelfth on practically every metric. Some better than seventh, one or two ever so slightly worse than worse than twelfth. But that's what Dan Ashworth will be looking at, and that's what everyone attached to Newcastle will be looking at. Going, yeah, you know what? This is all all right, and whatever happens on Wednesday happens, and whatever happens on Saturday happens. We then regroup uh, the other side of 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 this little sort of mini injury bump, if that is indeed you know if it is if it is you know relatively devastating for the for the squad in the short term. Regroup and just go. It's okay. It's a season, and as we said earlier on, and people are saying in the comments there, you know, there's been seasons where Newcastle have only won eight or nine games. The idea of winning sixteen or 17, which I don't think is unambitious, those games will come and those wins will come over the course of this season. I'd genuinely be surprised if Newcastle won fewer than 15. I really would be. No, I think I think it's a great point. And, and look, after this game, uh, we're obviously focused on this preview now for the Liverpool game. But after this game, we do have a number of fixtures that are quite favourable to us. You know, Palace come to St. James's Park. We've got Brentford. Palace are good, man. Away. Don't, don't, honestly. No, no, I'm, I'm, Palace are good. Is, <laughs> what, no, they are. They are. And they're having a great season. What I'm saying is, is that because those teams come to St. James's Park yeah. and because we've got the atmosphere in the stadium bouncing yep. and bubbling the way it was um, way back 
you know, we haven't seen this type of atmosphere in this um, kind of feel-good factor generated since Sir Bobby Robson was at the club. And what I say is, is and this is not being disrespectful to Palace no, or no. any of those individuals, uh, it teams, it's the case of what we're doing right now is causing such a um, kind of following from the fan base is that that gets us over the line in games. It raises the level and it gives us an opportunity, more importantly, to get points on the board. And this is what I say. I mean, we we, we look at those games at St. James's Park as a chance to win them all. We saw that against Man City last Sunday. You know, we, we didn't see that as a game as, oh, we're going to lose it anyway. Let's just yeah. go out there and do... We went out and went toe-to-toe with them. And that's why I say that every game at St. James's Park is a winnable game. And, and if we can win the majority of them and take as, as close to those, as you said, those 15, 16 wins... It allows us to then go away from home to express ourselves um, and try our, our very, very best. But- yeah, it's it's why it's why the manager can you know, and it's why he's right, and it's why I think it's interesting that he's done it from day one. Is is set them up to play a certain way and to accept that that way it won't always win. You won't always win matches. I think one of the better performances I saw Newcastle last season, one of the ones I was most impressed with, was the there was the Chelsea game where you get beat one nil. Uh, but I think it showed a real a real strength of no we're committed to this and I think what he's worked out and I think he does it he does it a little bit in his early couple of seasons in Bournemouth but because they're newly promoted he doesn't quite get the respect he deserves for it it becomes a little bit of a novelty act and I think the other thing that happens is Bournemouth then get the sort of the the wear and tear of Premier League football and trying to sort of keep going keep going back to the to the mill on it which I don't think will be a problem for him at Newcastle but what I think he has is the idea of no if we commit to playing this way and I think the home games is a really good example of it you know if we commit to playing this way we can have a feeling that against you know if we remove all of the big six that's 13 home games we can win nine or ten of them and we could beat two or maybe even three of the big six at home and before you know where you are that could be 13 home wins 30, when we said before about you know about winning winning sixteen winning seventeen, if you're winning, let's just say let's be more conservative and say eleven homes, then you're in a situation where you know to hit the seventeen wins we referred to early on, you only need six aways. And I think the manager's got that vision and that outlook that this these players going this way, doing this, we will get the results. The results will come. And I think there's a couple of managers who are doing that at the moment. I think you can see it with Vieira with Palace. I think you can see it with Potter at Brighton. I think you can see it with Howard Newcastle. And they're, for me, you know, much more of a danger to the traditional sort of top six than a few managers who've been around longer. You know, Leicester look shattered. They just look done in. They look like they've got no ideas. Uh, Gerard looks like he's finding it difficult at Villa. You know, there's a few other sides that have invested a fair bit of money. And I think if you go down into this, they're not, they haven't got quite the same devil may care attitudes in a few ways not to be irresponsible not throwing men forward but this sort of this idea that we've got a real certainty of what it is we're trying to do and i think that that's why you know for me this season i'll say it again palace brighton and newcastle you're i i if i was deciding the telly fixtures newcastle versus palace would be on the telly because i think it's potentially a really really good game um i think it'd be one where you'll get to learn a fair bit about both sides um and i think that it's one where you know ultimately you'll get two sides who are really committed to playing football uh, and we'll go at each other, and I don't think either at any point would take a draw um, from that game. And I think so. I think it'd be a really good game because these are the sides who are not quite common forces. I don't believe, you know, I don't believe that Palace and, and Brighton have got a have got a way to genuinely drop anchor in the top six in a way that you could say that about Newcastle. But the the common forces, I'd argue, in, ter- in terms of right now, the side that you just don't want to play against. They're gonna they're gonna be tactically smart, technically smart. There's pace, there's speed, there's speed of thought. 
And then there's also the ability to win the battles in all three of those sides. And, and that's what, you know, as I say, I think that'll be a tough game on Saturday. And it's one of the reasons why I think Wednesday night will be tough. Definitely. No, I think that's a fair point. Um, that is for sure. <laughs> Michael Palmer, um, huge supporter of the channel, he's gone, whoa, ninja show. <laughs> um, all right, guys, sorry for my tardiness. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry, you are here. And if you haven't watched um, the first 30 odd minutes that you that you may have missed, go and watch that back because it's been fantastic insight from Neil. Um, I've just been putting questions to him and just letting him talk because he's got so much knowledge on football in general. It's been far too kind. It's been a great chat so far, and and you know we've not even got even down to the kind of the crux of of, of the preview, which we're going to go into to next. And um, you made an interesting point actually about Stephen Gerrard, and and there is a question in the chat about Gerrard, which I will come to uh, later on in the show. So we'll we'll, we'll hold that one um, just just for a second. But um, yeah, uh, what I wanted to talk about, obviously, building into the game. Um, is you know sort of one or two of your one or two of your players, but I just want to get a quick word from you, Neil. Um, just on um, this man leaving the club, um, yeah. Sadio Mane. You know how much of a loss will he be, or has he been to Liverpool? Were you disappointed that he left the club? Um, what what were your thoughts about him go, going and moving on to Bayern Munich? It was it was a blow um, because I love him. Um, you know, we he's Klopp's first major signing in the summer of 2016, along with Genie. Um, but Sadio was more important. Ultimately, you know, he was incredible, and he was at the centre of so much that was good. He's won everything with us. By the time he leaves, you know, any, anything he could could have won playing for Liverpool, he's won. And I think that's why for me, you know, it, there's disappointed he's moved on, but I'm not holding it against anyone really. I'm not saying I'm holding it against Sadio, and I don't feel as though. The club had to pick between Mane and Salah to a degree. I think it's fair to say in terms of who was going to get a bumper long-term deal. They went for Salah um, and I think that's the more sensible option uh, for a number of reasons. But do I wish Sadio Mane was available to play for Liverpool tomorrow night or Wednesday night? Absolutely, yeah. I loved watching him. You know, it's as simple as that. You, you fall in love with the footballers and his, his spirit, his application, the way he was on and off the pitch, you know, his commitment to his own community back home was remarkable. He was in every single sense a Liverpool player. So, yeah, he's much missed. I think ultimately we've, you know, we've ultimately got to move on at some point. You can't have all the, the footballers are not ageless and they're not timeless and you've got to be able to make big calls. So I think that we're ultimately going to, you know, we're going to hopefully see him move on. And, you know, I want him to do well. Uh, I want him to do well when he's there uh, at Munich. But we've got some of the footballers and one of the footballers has actually been forgotten a little bit, not least because he started this season injured for us, is um, is, is Diogo Jota. And I think ultimately, I, I think we'd have four more points right now if Diogo Jota had been available. Um, and I think he's been, I miss him in a much more practical and dynamic way than Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane is just like an old mate. It'll be nice to see at some point. Diogo Jota is someone we need around right now. And and hopefully he'll be, he's not too far away from being available uh, to us at some point. At some point it's, it's going to, you know, at some point it's going to be, we're going to need to have Nunez and uh, Jota available. Uh, that's what we need. Definitely. And look, and we're going to come to Nunes right now because those that, that, that follow and are in the chat, we've got 230, 230 watching the show right now. Um, Loaded Mag NFC, you would know my opinions on Darwin Nunes. Uh, it, we were we were tra tracking him since early on last season. We thought we were going to get him in January. We didn't. We then thought we were going to get him in the summer. Liverpool came and swooped in and took him. Um, uh, but I have to say, you know, after a positive start 
obviously he will be missing the game through suspension, through this headbutt that he um, put on yep. Anderson in the home game. You know, what are your overall thoughts on Dominionis as a player? What are your thoughts on that action at home against Crystal Palace that got him sent off? And where do you see him progressing in the future? I'd rather people than get themselves sent off in stupid ways. I also think if you're going to headbutt and do it absolutely properly, uh, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, uh, certainly the size, the size of, of Nunez, you know, uh, but ultimately it was absolutely bloody stupid. Uh, it made that game harder, although we actually played better after we went down to 10. Uh, and it also, um, you know, it's meant we were with ultimate Manchester United, which was a real shame. Um, we're also trying to play slightly differently. I think more than slightly differently, but we'll just sort of start with slightly. We're, we're trying to accommodate, a different type of forward structure and Nunez is a massive part of that. He's not the sole part of that. I think Diego Jota can work in it as well. I think we're trying to tweak midfield so that we play with more of a, a little bit more of a two and a one in there as well. So the shape's a bit rather than four, three, three, a little bit closer to four, two, one, three. And I think part of that is the idea of having a number nine, uh, whether it's Jota or whether it's Nunez. Um, it's been difficult for, for Firmino, although he's excellent against Bournemouth, because of the way Bournemouth play, because Bournemouth aren't very good, because we got closer to we got closer to the we got Firmino on the ball closer to the Bournemouth goal, whereas against Manchester United he was picking the ball up in the centre circle. We need Firmino on the ball closer to the opposition D than closer to the centre circle, and that's the that's the big move that I think you know changes against Bournemouth. Plus Diaz shows more coming in off the left and is much more dynamic off the left. Salah holds his position on the right, and you got to see Elliot getting really close to Firmino to. Uh, to Diaz as Diaz comes in and to Salah. A lot of football is, you know, is football's exceptionally increasingly complicated, but a truism that's always been there in football is certainly in attack. The more you get your best players playing close to each other, the more effective you're likely to be. Uh, because if you've got your best players with your best touch, with your best acceleration, with your best striking ability, with your best passing ability, with your best dribbling ability, and they can link up in a close space, then you're likely to be able to do the business. And, and Liverpool failed on that score hugely against Manchester United but succeeded on it massively against Bournemouth and the manager is trying to change it and I think that that's, that's absolutely fine it's his prerogative to do so uh, I think he's moved away from the 4-3-3 where it's very much three midfielders who would who would who could who could fight anybody uh, all the way through the game and then work it forward to the front three and let them go from there I think he does want one more genuine attacking player on the pitch from the middle of the park it's been Elliot so far um, and hopefully you know he gets his goal at the weekend hopefully he builds on that yeah. I think we'll be unchanged. There's a chance he might put Shimakas in at left back to give Robertson a little rest, but I think we'll be unchanged on Wednesday night. I really do, um, and I think Elliot is a is a significant part of what it is he's trying to achieve. It's a hell of a commitment he's making to a 19 year old, but he's made it. Elliot's got one goal so far this season now, having scored against Bournemouth, and I think he is important. And I think if Liverpool can make this all glue together uh, as they did do against Bournemouth in the next two games, I think we'll win the games. I think where it could become difficult for us is if if we are a little bit unglued because trying to do something new when you've been doing something else for as long as Liverpool have is really hard indeed. No, I think that's a, um, a really good point. And interesting, you talked about you feel like in the centre of centre of the park you need to yeah. kind of strengthen. Do you, do you believe that between now and Thursday's deadline that you will kind of dip into the market? Over the last couple of days, there's been talk that maybe it wasn't necessarily the intentions of Liverpool, but actually maybe they will. And you've been linked with the likes of Tillemans. I know you've been linked heavily long-term with Jude Bellingham and it's looking like next season is going to be the season that you 
purchase. But will will Jurgen Klopp bite and 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 make the move to improve his midfield? Do you think? Yeah, just quickly got the comments on screen. I hate apology letters as well. I hate all apologies, to be honest with you. I think, you know, in the same way that Bournemouth get beat 9-0 at the weekend, the players don't know any supporters who made the long trip and all that nonsense and apology because the players were trying their very best. You know, sometimes footballers do bad things and I hate I hate the the, the, the new currency that players have got to front it up in public or something like that. I really can't be bothered uh, with all of that. You know, ultimately the footballers and the lads in the 20s doing the best. Um for the idea of getting another midfielder and the managers indicated that they'll do it but I still think they'll only do it if it's the right player I don't think of any interest in buying someone who they don't think is still able to play for Liverpool in three years by that I don't mean it's got to be someone young like 21 or something but what I mean is someone who can be part of the, the side's ongoing um, sort of growth and success and this is back to you know we've talked a, a lot about structures and I'd be surprised if Liverpool if Liverpool broke the structure, I think there is a bit of a thing where Liverpool were going into the season with eight midfielders. There's an injury crisis, but all the way through the summer, when I've written about this, I've explained, I've tried to explain what Liverpool are doing and what they're thinking when they didn't want another midfielder, whilst making the argument that I there on the side of getting one. And one of the reasons why would be, you know, Chamberlain, I think, is his race is run. He's out of contract next year. Um, and it's difficult to see sort of a, a natural home for him in terms of getting games on the one hand. Um, and now there's the other sort of injury issues that have come and Liverpool are playing games of football right now we play 19 between now and the World Cup and we need to get results out of them and you can then do a bit of business in January and what I mean by that bit of business is for instance if Chamberlain's got back and proven his fitness but we've made a signing and that player's settled then you can move Chamberlain out on loan uh, for the rest of his Liverpool contract so he gets to prove his fitness and get himself a good club as the next one along the line and you could possibly look to do that with one other uh, conceivably in there as well or you also accept that Naby Keita's contract up next summer James Milner's contract up next summer and that's why I'd have heard on the side of it but from Liverpool's point of view I think they felt you know last season Naby, Naby Keita is available for a lot of games uh, but he actually only makes 19 Premier League and Champions League starts which you know if you, we allow for the fact that Liverpool play 51 Champions League and Premier League games over the course of the season 19 really is not that many so I think Liverpool felt as though they were they were well enough stocked but I think something's changed off the pitch around the injuries that has made them think that they may well need one so I I think there is a chance that they'll move uh, for somebody. You can make an argument for any one of a number of players, I'd say. You can make it all types of players. You can make an argument for someone who's a bit more robust. I've said before about playing 4 2 1 3. Yeah. You know, for, for me, I'd always, you know, I, I, in a sort of a Jose Mourinho 2006 Chelsea way, you know, I'd always buy one more Scott Parker because you never know when you're going to need one. But that's not really how Jurgen Klopp likes to work, but it does seem as though that's what Liverpool might well be looking at. But if Liverpool are playing 4-2-1-3, as I keep saying, with Elliot as the one, the next player we've got who's suited to that role, really, if it isn't going to be pulling one of the attackers forward, one of the forwards back, sorry, whether it's Firmino, Jota, or, say, Carvalho, then I think you can make a bit of an argument that the next one who's suited to that's Chamberlain. So I wouldn't be averse if Liverpool were looking for a more creative midfielder, maybe one who can do a bit of work off a flank as well, and looking to add one like that. That would make a bit of sense to me, because if we are going to play in this way and we're going to release that right-hand side of midfielder, then I don't think it's natural for Jordan Henderson at that point, at this point in his career to be that player. Um, and then to play in the two, we've got Jordan, we've got Fabinho, you know, we've got Milner, we've got Keita, we've got Jones, uh, albeit the fact that there's fitness issues around a couple of these at the moment, and we've got one other whose name, oh, Thiago Alcantara, he's good. Um, <laughs> who who can who can all play that sort of role really really well, but you know I think ultimately 
I think I can think it wanted to be one thing tactically or another thing tactically. I think the main thing they'll want is to feel like they're not buying someone for the short term, but it's someone who can still be part of the squad in three years. And I think that's what they're looking for. Definitely. And look, I think there's a really good question here um, or a good point here made by a um, huge sponsor of, of the channel, Simon. Uh, welcome, Simon. Glad you're watching. He put Liverpool don't need another midfielder. They they just need to give Bobby Clark a win. <laughs> Yeah, still Please, not that Liverpool nicked him from his uh, quality young talent. And look, Newcastle fans are still very, very frustrated about the fact that Bobby Clark um, got signed by Liverpool. It was right at the end of the Mike Ashley era. If we'd have just waited on a few more months, we, we uh, I genuinely believe, like Ellie Anderson has for us, in his uh, come through our academy and played yesterday, very unlucky not to score, hit the bar in the last minute. Um, you know, I, I honestly believe that Bobby Clark would have been given his debut and would have been playing regular well, or, or certainly part of the squad. You know, do you see him as part of your future? Or, or when are you going to sell him back to us? That's <laughs> the question we want to know. <laughs> well, he got on at the weekend. He got on against Bournemouth. So he got he 15 minutes against Bournemouth. So I think that, the, you know, they've, they've, he, he was, he's been on the bench a couple of times. He Obviously, they, they didn't put him on into the fray against Manchester United and, and the right not to. Uh, but they got him on against Bournemouth. And I think that the, the very fact that he's he's on benches, Premier League benches, yes, we've got a few injury issues, but the fact that he's on Premier League benches says where he is in the pecking order and that they think he's going to get on there at some point. I think he'll get on it. We've got uh, Derby at home in the EFL Cup in November. If he's not injured at the time of that game, I think he'll get on um, in that one. I think he'll possibly even start, depending on where our fitness is for a couple of players. And that's no bad thing. And he looked fine when he got on, you know, him and Bacevic. The, the other thing I'll point out is big lad. I mean, the pair of those two, Bacevic and Clark, are big lads. But big lads, you know, now, uh, he looks a lot bigger than a lad named Bobby Clark or two, uh, to be quite honest with you. Uh, <laughs> but he is, you know, he is, he is Lee Clark's son. And I think, I think there's... You know, I think with I think this is the other thing that's sort of in Liverpool's mind when you talk about recruitment. The manager repeatedly says he doesn't want to block pathways, but there's times where maybe just maybe you've got to you've got to block pathways uh, a little bit because we're not on our project. We need to get results now. Uh, the clock's ticking on a season. You know, big game on Wednesday night. As said, I wish we had a couple more midfielders for that one who were available. You know, and I think that from there. We've got, I think we're well stocked. You know, we've got two quality left backs, four quality central defenders, two good goalkeepers, and a decent number three. Uh, we've made a bit of a risk at right back. We've let Nico Williams go and brought in uh, a young lad from Scotland who, Calvin Ramsey, that's his name. I can't say his name escapes me. Uh, but I think at the minute, if, for instance, Trent Alexander, if everyone was fit and Trent Alexander Arnold had a problem, I think that Milner or Gomez would play there uh, for now. You know, and but. It's the if everyone's fifth point, and that's where we've got eight centre mids, uh, eight centre mids where they can only play a uh, hundred, you know, between the eight of them. There's 153 uh, Premier League and Champions League games available if they, if we make the Champions League final. Between the eight of them, the issue is that four of them have now got pretty consistent injury records. That makes us look lighter than we are in attack. Our fifth best forward is Firmino, and our sixth best is Carvalho. And I think we expect that to flip over the course of this season. Yeah. They're decent options. Cade Gordon was much vaunted at Derby. Looked good when he got on for us last season, but he's actually had an injury as well, which meant he's not been able to play any part in pre-season. Right. And he'd be our number seven, but I like him an awful lot. You know, I liked what I saw last season. So all in, you know, I think that the numbers are sort of there, but it's then about the the ability. And then within that, then it becomes, okay, do you do one more this summer? And as I said, all the way through the summer, I've been understanding why they've not wanted to, but I would err on the side now and would have erred on the side in, at the end of June. Do one and worry about, worry about the ramifications of it later. Um, and that looks to be where they are. Links to Sander Berg continue from Sheffield United. Lima uh, continue... 
there's a little bit of Frankie de Jong stuff that does the rounds. Um, I think there's, you know, there's there's a couple. Uh, I think there could be something left field. You mentioned Bellingham. I don't think Liverpool will be able to force that to happen in the in the short term. But there's a couple of of, of footballers where you know, in the same way that when when we bought Wijnaldum from from Newcastle a few seasons back, it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool buy a player and then change his position or change the sort of the tactical ask. You know that Liverpool might have their eye on someone a little bit clever, um, and then from there, you know, you never know. Um, there's also a chance they don't do anyone and they end up saying, well, we just couldn't get anyone who we felt was, was feasible because the thing they don't want to do, and I think that this is, again, you know, it's something for, for, I think Newcastle are thinking about and I think that side who are trying to build a team for the long term need to think about is that they never want to saddle themselves with someone they need to get rid of. And that's sort of, it's unfair because when he was playing before he got his first bad injury, he looked incredible for us. But that's sort of where we've ended up with Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think if someone had come in for Oxlade-Chamberlain in June and said, we really want to buy him, and Chamberlain had said, I want to go, I think Liverpool would have let him go. And then they would have bought another midfielder and probably got one who was more physically resilient. Klopp doesn't like forcing players out. And especially if he thinks they've got good character and good temperament and have shown commitment to him, which is true of Chamberlain. So, you know, Klopp doesn't do uh, make him train with the kids to make the point or anything like that. He doesn't want that that's not what he's about ever and at times with a manager his greatest strength i.e being able to build a sense of togetherness can be a weakness you know you can end up having a situation where you think to yourself well um it'd be better if we liverpool were able to be more sort of vindictive towards footballers who they might not want to play for them anymore but the truth is that's just not liverpool's way it's not their way of doing things so and it's not jürgen klopp's way and, and jürgen klopp sort of calls the shots around that so i think all in the Liverpool thing is they don't want to buy someone if they've just got to sell them again in 12 months. That's not what they'll want to do. They'll want to buy someone and they'll want that player to still be part of the Liverpool squad. No, I, I think that's that's more than fair and it gives us a bit of an insight about how in which they go about their business um, at Liverpool. And it's really, really intriguing to see uh, and to hear from yourself, Neil. Um, just a little bit of breaking news just popped up on my phone just a second ago. Uh, Man United have agreed a deal in principle to sign Newcastle goalkeeper Martin Dubravka. I think it's been talked about the last few days um, since he hasn't been in the last two matchday squads that he was looking to leave. Um, he's going to be the number two. There's talk about him playing in European football um, with Man United, looking at the um, Europa League, going to be playing a lot of minutes there. And that's why he's making a move. I still don't understand why that's happening. You know, he's going from number two at Newcastle to number two at Man United. I don't really understand it, especially for the fact that it is um, going to be a loan with a view or an option to buy at the end of the season. Doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, Looks like that deal is going to be done very, very shortly, um, and that move is is happening. So um, uh, it remains to be seen how we go about our business and whether we improve in other areas between now and Thursday. But um, I want to get onto this point. Uh, I, I want to be able to talk tactics for a little bit because you talked about tactics, you talked about the team. I want to share. I want to have a little bit of a conversation with you about this because I want to do want to go back to the questions before we finish because there are some fantastic questions that um, I want um, to make sure that I ask you before we're out but I'm just going to share this with you on the screen just so you can see uh, we always talk a little bit of tactics so hopefully mm -hmm. you can see this um, on the screen now can you, can you see the two teams set up yeah Okay, so um, you mentioned to me that you thought it would be kind of the similar team that played against um, against Bournemouth. So I've set out the team in a 4-4-3, formation. Yeah. Um, uh, does that sound right? Seem right to you in terms of yeah. how we set up? 
Um, yeah, I think I think Elliot will be more advanced than Henderson. So I think Fabinho and Henderson will be pretty close together, uh, almost as a bit of a two. And then Elliot will be really close to Salah. Uh, and Firmino will probably pull that way as well. But yeah. that's sort of what Liverpool will look like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I, I managed to set that up. Now, just for the Newcastle fans in the chat, the way I've set this team up, I've made some changes to our, our starting lineup. So obviously, um, I think pretty much that anyhow has confirmed that Bruno won't be available on Wednesday evening. So um, I've put Longstaff to start there again, like he did against Wolves. Um, now, this is the this is the issue, is that after St. Maximus scored, he had an opportunity one-on-one where he, he had a shot. Um, it was saved by the keeper. He then, uh, and I was at the game, was holding his hamstring up until he got subbed, uh, his left hamstring. So he went off. He didn't even come and clap the fans at the end because I think he went straight down the tunnel. So that says to me, um, that he's struggling. So, therefore, I've gone with Fraser playing left wing. Um, but I have gone with um, Alexander Isaac um, to start up front for Newcastle, which will be a massive boost because um, Callum Wilson hasn't been fit or available since the Man City game because of his hamstring injury. Now, um, that's the way in which I see the team. For all I know, Eddie Howe might make a number of changes and it could be very, very different. The rest of the team looks the way it is. Now, just looking at Newcastle's team, Neil, where do you see, firstly, Liverpool causing the problems to Newcastle, but all equally, where do you think Newcastle could potentially come in and cause Liverpool some issues. I think for both, for, well, so Maximan's obviously excellent uh, and exciting. Uh, Fraser's caused caused his issues in the, ba- in the past playing for Bournemouth, uh, and I think full stop. Anyway, the, there is the desire, not least because of the way Liverpool set up, um, and also the reality of Virgil Van Dijk for people to attack the gap between Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez. I think Gomez was really good last two games. I think he's been better than Van Dijk, but. Ultimately, I think that that's where sides look to attack us. So that left-hand channel there becomes really, really important uh, from, from a Newcastle point of view. I think Joel Linton being on that side as well uh, as a significant physical presence uh, to, to sort of to support uh, Fraser and Isaac if they pull that way uh, and look to freeze the quite diminutive Harvey, Ele- Harvey Elliott out uh, suggests to me that that could be the, the direction that the game goes. Though that said, what I think is interesting about Newcastle playing Liverpool, but also in general, is that they look to have really dynamic threat off the left on the one hand, but they've got a really strong football and threat off the right with Trippier and Almiron um, on the other. So I think that while it'll feel at times like a lot of football's happening on that side, I actually think the game will be won and lost on the other. So I think it's Diaz's job to push Trippier back and Robertson's job to push Almiron back. And if that happens, then I think Liverpool will be having the having the better of the affair. Um, and as I say, I'm not expecting Liverpool to line up any differently than they did um, against Bournemouth. Uh, and to see if they can, you know, push up the pitch, play the way in which we want to play. But if we play the way we want to play, Scott, uh, um, Eddie Howe's not stupid, and his players aren't stupid, and they'll know Liverpool want to play a high line. Liverpool want to very much push the opposition back. Isaac's got pace, he's got strength, he's got direct running. Um, and as I said before, Joe Linton's got strength. I think the the only other question is whether or not they might think about throwing Anderson in. Um, I wonder if the, it might be a game too early. I prefer to do that uh, with the one coming up against Crystal Palace. And the only other thing I think in amongst it from a from a Newcastle point of view, and and this is back to the idea of how many games it is that you need to win. You know, we have, we mentioned there against Palace. Then there's an away game against West Ham, and then there's a game against Bournemouth. I think the idea of risking footballers 
with muscle injuries at the start of the season is is just not worth it from a Newcastle point of view. And certainly not worth it going away to Anfield um at this stage. In that, you know, if you if Sam Maximan can play an eight out of ten game and Newcastle could get beat three one. Uh, whereas if Sam Maximan plays an eight out of ten or nine out of ten game against Crystal Palace and is is well rested, you think that that could be enough to take the game away from Crystal Palace. So I think all of that is is the key element of of the both how selection uh, decision and how I see the game playing and where you've got those players there, you know, it shows the likely sort of individual battles and where the braveness will be. And I think for Newcastle, the big the big question is where they stick the line. Because you pick targets at left back, and I think it's interesting because he's he's done a bit with Burn recently, and I wonder if he might go with Burn again because Liverpool love to put a big ball in, and what it also does is it means he can play th- he can try and play three v three at the back with say Burn, Botman, and Shaw, and then let Trippier go. So it becomes almost a slightly it's not quite a back three, but it becomes sort of quite a an orthodox like shape. Yeah, so Burn comes quite yeah. narrow. Matches up against Salah, looks to be mm. physical against Salah. Shaw comes a bit further out to the right. Botman comes a bit more central. And then Liverpool have got a problem because does Diaz play on Shaw or does he play on Trippier? Yeah. And they have Trippier as an out ball. Almer on the other side there. Yeah. Does that pull Henderson out? If it does, does that give Willock room? All so that, of that, yeah. all of that offers Liverpool a little bit of a problem. And that's the positive of, of playing Burn. Also, Newcastle are good from set pieces, both attacking and defending. And one of the reasons why is they've got a lad who's six foot seven. So, yeah. I think that's that's the key one. Someone's just put in the comments there, Trips isn't going to make it in their view. I'd be intrigued by that. I think there is a thing here about playing so many games a week and it might be that you know Newcastle do do something a little bit different for this one because of that. But I think if you look at what's gone well for Newcastle this season, a bit of it's been that idea that and Burn did it a lot at Brighton and Brighton have done it a lot so far this season. You might write it down as a four at the back, but it can quickly become a three. And then from there, you can release someone. And go from there, and and that's, I think that's, and that's the interesting sort of tactical question around this game from a Newcastle point of view, um, and then within there, you know, can Liverpool obviously find the space, press Newcastle back, and create the opportunities? No, I think it's a it's a more than valid point. Um, hold on one second, I've just lost it. Let me just get it back one second because I think it's a really interesting point how you've how you mentioned it and actually we've talked about at times playing maybe three at the back and it could well be that a target or a Fraser comes in here Trippier comes in here we we block out this yep. midfield here um Anderson I don't think will I, I don't think he'll give him his um his start at Anfield personally um I, I just don't I think he'll. Um, I, I think he'll maybe wait for another game to play him. Maybe even Palace that he'll give him his start at St James's Park. I've just got a feeling he'll, he'll give him his start there. And um, someone mentioned about Willock in the chat. Willock, yes, can be frustrating. He should have scored on Sunday, missed the sitter. But what he can do is his boxer box ability in games like this will be absolutely gold dust, and his ability to ca- carry the ball and travel with the ball long distances at his feet um, will, will be a big thing. And I actually think, you know, I'm not saying Henderson's finished by any means. He's a very talented player. But I think at times in the game on Wednesday, Willock, if he plays here, will have the beating of Henderson with his pace and with his power to drive with the ball, I think could potentially cause problems. Yeah, but what I think would happen though in the scenario, as you got them there, and this is why I don't think he'll pick that shape, or if he does, why, you know, it could be uh, a little bit trickier, is that what happens in that scenario is that effectively 
Liverpool ends up in a situation where they're basically playing against it's a three five two or a five three two. Diaz goes and plays right on Shaw. Robertson's then one on one with Trippier and looking to run him the other way. Van Dijk deals with Almiron and Gomez has a battle with Isaac where he's supported by Fabinho. My point there then becomes what happens is Willock's getting pulled the other way because Shaw's going, I don't want to deal with this fella. And Trippier's got Robertson to deal with. Mm. So what actually happens is that triangle of those three gets compressed with Willock having to do so much work going the other way. And then suddenly Henderson's got a bit more time yeah. to act as a support for a number yeah. of these players. Yeah. The four, as it was before, where Almiron's wide on one side and Fraser's right up against Trent Alexander-Arnold, even if you then took Burn in because he's got Mo Salah to deal with, that suddenly gives Liverpool a bit more of a problem because you can't have a situation. that Gomez can't take what's happening down that right-hand side for granted. At that point, he's got to be very, very involved over there. Gives Isaac some more room to manoeuvre. And it means Almiron's battling with Robertson. And from a Newcastle point of view, it's Almiron versus Robertson. And it's a score draw. Then that gives more space for Willock to burst into, as you've just done it there. So I yeah. think the smarter move, I think if, if you play about, if you play the 5-3-2, as you've just detailed it, if you if you feel as though the game could be won or lost, or at least impacted by Henderson versus Willock, then I'd say the smart thing to do is almost just match Liverpool up 4-3-3 for 4-3-3. Um, than not, uh, than, than end up in a situation where Willock could be left going. Well, I don't know, I don't know who I cover back here because everyone's asking me for help because we've created a different set of one v ones. It sort of twisted it a little bit, and I think that that's what that's what it could be um, in amongst this. But I think it shows it's an interesting contest, and I think it also shows that it's not a walk in the park for Liverpool, which at times this fixture has been across the last couple of years. You know, this this won't feel like a walk in the park. There'll be a lot for Klopp to think about, even just as we're talking here, and a lot for Eddie Howe to think about as well, because he's got options at his disposal. No, I, I agree with you. And it'll be very much a moving part. It is a fluid situation. The one thing I'll add is that um, at times, Longstaff was exposed um, uh, in this defensive midfield spot. And if we do allow Willick to get forward, if anything gets in and behind Willick in here, uh, Longstaff's got a big job in order to yep. not just cover the back two there, but also cover in here. And at times against Wolves, he didn't do that. Um, although he made some critical kind of stops, particularly cutting out counter-attacks. He, was, he, he did a couple of times, did it very, very well. I think positioning-wise, it's an area he needs to improve. And maybe... It's just the case he needs games, more games yep. in that position to get up to speed. Who knows? But but let's let's wait and see. But it's an interesting situation. I'm interested to see, like you've talked about, um, and I'll end it on this point, in that, you know, if it is a case that Amir on, and he will like to break in between Robertson, if he starts, and Van Dijk, he'll want to break into these areas and try and really push and stretch the defence. If he does come across here and Van Dijk's in here, I'd be interested to see this battle here between Gomez and Izak because Izak has got an immense amount of pace and his ability to finish is without question. And I think that'll be a really, really interesting battle to, to keep a hold on if Izak starts, and I do believe he will. So, again, like we said, it's a really, really interesting situation on how things will move as the game progresses. But um, just always like to have that little bit of tactical um, discussion um, as the game, um, as we build up to the big game on um, Wednesday evening. But look, uh, before we get to predictions, there are a couple of quick-fire questions I'll throw yeah, to on. you, um, uh, Neil, and I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. Um, that is for sure. Um, Simon's put, does Neil expect any incoming transfers before Thursday's deadline? 60-40 uh, Liverpool will do one. 
I think 60 40. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 80 20, but I'm 60 40. They'll find someone, there'll, there'll be someone in the big book that they've had their eye on for a long period of time, and they'll maybe go a couple of notches down where they'd like to be, but there'll be a bit of imagination, I think, and they'll have a plan for someone. Interesting, very interesting. Um, a couple couple of questions for me that I'll just throw up here. Evening just right back situation. Worry you or your man Cleo is cover, and we have about six who can play left back. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the Alan Pardew days. I've got to be honest, dot but uh, dot by design. Um, look, it, it doesn't necessarily worry me that man Cleo's always come in and done a decent job when it was been required. I just think there's a chance he could leave and we come in and get a right back into the club. I've just got a feeling that Eddie Howe doesn't fancy him as part of the squad. Um, one to keep an eye on for sure over the course of the less, next few days. Uh, definitely keep an eye on that. Doug Hall's put another one for me. He's put a break the bank and let's get Madison. Leicester need to rebuild. They could get relegated. I don't know about the relegation, Doug, but Madison I've banged on about that I think he'd be a fantastic signing. And if Sunday's uh, um, anything to go by, he's the type of player that could come into that midfield and really light us up and give us that little bit of creativity that we really need. Um, Doug, there's a question... Um, sorry, Neil, there's a question here by Doc by Design. Um, do, do you think Gerard will go after they travel to Arsenal? I think he's referring to Villa. Villa will be in the bottom three, obviously. Gerard being your ex-captain and Champions League winner. Um I don't know if you've watched him closely at Villa. Um, obviously, he's not had a good time at the moment. Lost again yesterday against West Ham. What are your thoughts about that? I think they've got a difficult run coming up. Um, it's Arsenal, I think. It's Arsenal away and then it's City at home. Uh, and then they've got Leicester away and then it's Southampton at home, I think I read today. I don't think anyone will do anything dramatic before that international break so there's the international break at the end of september so i think i think you'll get those games until then also there's a there's the transfer window that's ongoing as well and i think across the you know i don't think there's a manager in the country you'll, you'll go anywhere before that international break and then what it might be is someone might choose to pull the plug uh on a manager or two during that international break if they think they need massive change so there's four games there two of which Villa will not go into as favourites, two of which they may feel as though they can get a result from. If they were to get, for instance, six points from those four games, no matter what where they came, then I think there'd be a sense of, all right, we, we persevere with this and go from there. Um, ultimately, though, I just don't think he's doing very well. I think he's finding it a little bit difficult. I think, I think on the whole... I, I don't feel like they've got a real sense of what they're trying to do off the off off the field. I think there is also the disruption of losing someone like Grealish. Grealish was the most important player when they got promoted. He was the most important player of the season where they stayed up, and then he was the most important player of the season after. And I just don't think anyone's entirely got to grips with the reality of how much Grealish shaped and dominated that football team. All of that said, you know, Steven's job is to do that. So, you know, at this point. I wouldn't think it was absolutely wild if if Villa chose to pull the plug, but I do think you'll get four more, uh, and I think that that'll be that'll be you know that could well be the end of it. But I think he you know if he feels as though it's not happening for him one way or the other, I think I think Villa's a harder job than than maybe even Stephen thought before he walked in there because I'm in this really weird situation where I'm not I'm not clear who the best player is, and I'm still not clear who the best player is mm-hmm. uh, even now. I'm not clear who the best defender is. He clearly didn't think Tyrone Mings was the best centre half because he went and bought another one and took the captaincy off him. Yeah. I'm not entirely convinced by the goalkeeper. You know, it's one of them where you can go all the way through and keep sort of pushing through. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I like McGinn, but Coutinho. he's not. Yeah, Tina looks like a good player, but he's had but, a shocker. Yeah, and oh. and and you know, it was was good at Everton but he wasn't great and it wasn't like Everton were, were you know were, were, were posting top six finishes McGinn looks good but you don't want to build a team around him he's, he's committed to Coutinho but you don't want to build a team around him anymore either Watkins and Ings 
of too many similarities and that they both look like 12 a season and neither of them looks like 18. So I think it's really difficult. I think it's I think it's a hard so whoever came in, I think could find it a hard job as well. But I think it's I think it's been a slightly harder job than maybe he's anticipated and and Villa to me, I I'm not even quite clear on what do you think the partner play is meant to be. So I, I think it's a difficult one and, and it wouldn't surprise me if he does in the end move on. Yeah, I think Villa, Villa are a team of individuals, in my opinion, and and their best player for me isn't even playing, and that's Leon Bailey. I would love to take him from Villa and have him at Newcastle on the yeah. right wing because he's a talented boy, and I think his dad has even come out over the weekend and and, and pointed some fingers at Villa for why he's not. Had a really good preseason, a really yeah. really good preseason, and then he doesn't play well in the first game against Bournemouth, and they bombed him out. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. Interesting one to keep an eye on there. Um, Simon's put in another one. Put will Liverpool make any changes for the game on Wednesday? You'd thought that it'd be exactly how it was for Bournemouth. Are you still yeah, un- unchanged. Unchanged. The only thing that they might do, as I said before, is they might do Shimakas. Uh, unless there's unless there's someone who's been secretly training we don't know about. I think it'll be a stronger bench, uh, and I think they might do Shimakas for for Robertson. But even there, I don't think they will. I think they'll look to do sixty minutes for Robertson and then bring Shimakas on on the hour mark to to keep Robertson fresh with one eye on the fact that we've got. Goodison Park at the weekend, and then we've got Napoli away. So I think it's more likely that he does that than than starts Shimakas. Interesting, very interesting. Uh, a different question here. Um, uh, Mark Todd's put: um, Which areas do, does Neil think that we need to strengthen? Newcastle need to strengthen. Which two players would make a difference for us? A slightly different question there. Yeah, I think I think there's 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 four. When I say funny answers, there's unorthodox answers for this from a Newcastle point of view. I think if you're thinking quite short term, I think there's a really strong argument that given the fact that he's got one year left on his deal and he's having a pretty miserable time, that Newcastle should have a serious think about Adama Traore. Uh, and the reason why is because there's you're all thinking at the minute, well, what are we going to do without Sam Maximan at Anfield? I think the idea of being able to either start both Sam Maximan or Adama Tra- and Adama Traore or be swapping Sam Maximan on the hour mark for Adama Traore. He's got massive issues, Traore, don't get me wrong, around his end product and all of that. But the thing that Maximan gives Newcastle is an ability to get 40 yards up the pitch. And Adama Traore is very, very similar in that regard. He's a he's a, he's a poor man, Sam Maximan. But then my argument to become, well, why not have the pair of them for a couple of seasons and be able to sort of push back? That's that's something that I think could work quite well. I think Isaac's a really good signing and I don't think you want to do another centre-forward now because between Wood, Wilson and Isaac, they're nice options and with the, the younger players that you've got and the fact that you'd want to get Sam Maximan on the pitch as much as humanly possible. Um, someone in the comments there, when, when you, Matt, you mentioned Madison, Michael Pomar, I think it was, mentions the idea of Tielemans or Barnes from Leicester. Yeah. Yeah. Barnes again. I think Barnes is a much better player than Adama Traore, and I think that that you know we can play both sides. Sam Maximan, you're basically picking two from Almiron, uh, Sam Maximan, and and uh, and Barnes. If you were to get him, I think Barnes is a really really exciting player yeah. who I think needs a change in order to be able to sort of super up a little bit. And then I think the other thing, if you're looking for the next starter, I know you paid a bit of money for for Target last time out, and I like Burn a great deal. But I think, you know, allowing time for Botman and Shaw to, to build a partnership and and what what there is at the heart of that mid that the heart of that defence, I think uh, a left back who's able to be as good going forward as Trippier is on the right is the major sort of start and move either in the either for the rest of this window or more likely now, the January one or next summer, where ultimately sides would look at Newcastle and feel as though there's threat from both sides, um, genuine threat from both sides and progressive football from both sides. I think that that, that is the thing. And also the other thing I will point out here is that, you know, there's been a bit of debate about Willock in there as well. A right-hand side is sort of number eight um, who can do the box-to-box stuff if you've got Gamera's in there or 
and this is where maybe you you could do it is a really good number six who allows Gamirez to go and play number eight and be more progressive and show his full range of ability every single game. That could be really, really interesting from a Newcastle point of view. So sort of that's two or three positions and two or three names, but those types of players. Interesting. Um, uh, from Geniesta Juan Aldum. Uh, Neil, how do you deal with set maximum? Overload the wings, perhaps? He may not play, but if he does, how do you what? deal with it? What Liverpool are really good at and have been really good at is when we, we come up against that sort of player um, has been forget the idea of dealing with him, just make sure he doesn't get the ball. So stop him from getting on the ball in the first place, stop the flow, uh, stop the supply. And I think that that's what, or if he is getting on the ball, make sure he's getting on the ball 20, 30 yards from his goal and not 20, 30 yards from yours. And I think that that's what Liverpool will look to do. Uh, if Sam Maximan does start in this one, I think it'll be the idea of it isn't it isn't stopping from playing, it's stop the supply. And that comes back to the thing I said before, though, about the idea of having another one or having a threat on the other side in every single position. You know, I think that, Every football team has got to cut its cloth and it's got to say, we're all right with him getting on the ball somewhere. And the better that player is, where you have to say, we're all right with him having time on the ball, the more likely you are to win games. Because, you know, you're only, in some senses, as strong as your weakest link. In terms of Newcastle's strongest attacking link here, Liverpool will try, try to keep, I think, Sam Maximan at arm's length uh, as much as humanly possible by keeping the ball away from him, by pressing other players and then having a plan to possibly fall back a little bit if he does end up getting on it. Interesting. We'll see. Hopefully, Sir Maximin is fit, but could well be injured in that time. Um, Alan Thompson puts a good question in. Um, Neil, do you think it will be a two-horse race for the title, or do you think Arsenal Spurs will close the gap on news, um, or do you think Man City will run away with the title? I think it'll be. I still think it'll be a two-horse race for the title uh, with us and City. Um, I think that Arsenal and Spurs are better, but I think that we've got to see what it looks like when they're playing European football, and especially Tottenham with the Champions League aspects as well. Um, I think that the next most likely outcome is that City run away with it, uh, and then I think the idea of it being a, a multi-horse race is the least likely thing. I think every season we have a period where everyone thinks, oh, this could be the season when there's three or four teams with a fighting chance of winning the title. What Liverpool and City have both shown an ability to do is win 11 and 12 more than once during the season. Win 11 and 12. Two epic runs at some point during the campaign. Um, and both Liverpool and City have shown the ability to do that. And no one else has. Now, it could be that Arsenal and in the midst of that sort of run. It could be that, you know, where, you know, in the, the third week of October, and Arsenal have found a way to win 13 out of the first 15, at which point we can say, well, Arsenal are serious. But four out of four is really good. Don't get me wrong. Very few teams win four on the bounce. But, Liverpool and City have not, and City more than Liverpool to be clear, have normalised the idea of going on two runs of double figures in a season where you win 10 and 11 or 11 and 12 or 12 and 13 or even as Liverpool and City have both done at different points, you've won 19 out of 19. That's the challenge and I think that Liverpool and City are both still capable of that and everyone else has got to prove it. I think that's fair. Um, Liverpool will definitely come good. There was no doubt about it. There's a couple of couple of points in here um, for myself, John. Uh, do you Let think me don't Newcastle light on that quick one sec? Because I feel like I'm yeah. in the dark now. One sec. Yeah, go for it. There's a couple of questions put in for, from a Newcastle point of view. Do you think NFC will spend big again before the window closes, or a local journalist right with the more conservative um, guesses of loans? Uh, look, John, I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle went out and spent a little bit of money. Um, uh, I do think there could be uh, at least another two that come in between now and Thursday. Uh, one being a loan, one being potentially a permanent deal. 
Um, so, so don't rule out that potential. The journalists will, will play it down to a certain perspective because they are not necessarily hearing the sort of news that they would used to used to get under the previous ownership. Um, Newcastle keeping a very tight ship in terms of news coming out. So if you if you if you look back to this summer, a lot of the news that we've cut, we've had about players coming in has tended to be the opposition or the the selling team um, in club. We've heard about it from their end or whether it's from another country, whether it's Italy or, or whoever, they're the, they're the places where, where we hear that information first, not necessarily from the club. So I won't worry too much about that. But I do think there'll be another two, in my opinion, that will come through um, the club in that respect. And the same, um, but I want to ask you, Pete, because Leverkusen signed, uh, just signed Hudson-Odoi on loan, do you think our guys can do a last-minute surprise deal about Musa Diabe, bring him into Newcastle United? Look, it, they haven't had a great start to the season. Uh, and, and equally to that, Musa Diabe is a player that we would need in a position that we desperately need to strengthen on that right-hand side of midfield. So, therefore, it would make sense. It would all all be about how much money it would cost at this stage. Um, I don't think there'd be a question of Musa Diabe wanting to come to Newcastle. And actually, early on in the summer, it was talked about that he would want to come to Newcastle. So it's something that, you know, if it was going to happen, it's going to need to happen now to get that deal done, ready for Thursday um, for the deadline. So, you know, if we don't hear about it in the next 24 you know, 30-odd hours, you know, in between that kind of period of time, it probably isn't going to happen at that stage. But I would love it to happen and could well happen in January. So don't rule that one out. Um, okay, and look, let's get to it now. So, um, Russell Thompson has said, what are we hoping for, thinking for the results midweek against Liverpool? So, look, let's get our predictions out there right now. So, Neil, um, at say quarter to 10 10 o'clock on wednesday evening what do you um expect the result to be between liverpool and newcastle united i think liverpool will win the game i think one of the reasons why is because i think newcastle are a sane reasonable football team with an identity and a way of playing and i think that that suits liverpool at the moment i don't think that they'll they'll lay traps for liverpool in terms of just looking to exist on the counter i don't think that how can do that not that he can't do it he could do it i think but the idea of saying no we play differently when we play liverpool to the way in which we played against manchester city at home would be i think sort of counterproductive to everything that he's trying to achieve and build so i think that newcastle have to look to play progressive football yes aggressive football but progressive football as well and i think that liverpool will therefore just in the end, have a little bit too much. I think it could be a little bit different if Newcastle had everyone absolutely fully fit and ready to go. I think that it'll be a much tougher game. But I think you mentioned before about space behind Longstaff. Um, and I think that that's something that'll work in Liverpool's interests. And, you know, Peter, I, th I think that ultimately Liverpool should just have a little bit too much on, on the night. I think Liverpool win the game maybe 2-0, 3-1, sort of plus two goals. That's not to say it'll be easy. I think it'll be a scrap. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if if it's 2-1, it's the 80th minute before it goes 3-1, or if it's 1-0, it's the it's the 80th minute before it goes 2-0. I think Liverpool will know they've been in a game. Um, I don't think they'll be resting. I don't think Bobby Clark will be coming off the bench. Let me put it that way. Bobby's not getting involved in this one. Uh, I think it'll be a game where Liverpool have got a scrap for it until the 90th minute, show professionalism until the 90th minute. Uh, and I think Newcastle will go away with some credit in the bank, feeling as though they played quite well, and then be prepared for their game on Saturday in the same way that Liverpool will need to. So, yeah, I think Liverpool by two, 
but not by two in terms of in terms of you know Liverpool. It's it's two and a half time and it's all done and dusted. I think by two and it's it's quite a quite an arduous win. No, I think that's fair. And um, Jordan Two for Life said three one to Liverpool. I hate saying it, but you have to be honest. That's a fair point. Um, Jason Scott said four one wow. Liverpool. We think, we think we'll get smashed. Um, Dot by Design has said. Um, I take a point right now, and you know what? I'm in your boat, Dot by Design. I would take a point right now. Um, Jason Scott said too many injuries in niggles is the reason why he thinks it'll be 4 1. Um, Chantal has said, and my head says 2 1 uh, win to Liverpool, but my heart says a 1 0 Newcastle That's a win. <laughs> uh, so th- there's lots of different opinions there. Look, uh, you know, I'm normally really, really positive, but without Bruno, Sit, Max, Wilson, um, I just think Liverpool will probably have too much for it. So I'm going to go um, maybe a 3-1 Liverpool win. But like you said, and it was the same at Anfield last season, it might be a tight game for, for a, a chunk of the game. But then late on, Liverpool get maybe a goal or two that sees them home and dry in the end. And it'll be kind of that, just that that energy and that fitness kind of making the difference. Like you said, they're well drilled for playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. So I think that'll be the case. So look, um, JC said nil nil, please. Um, lots of lots of others. Some would say I would take a one one. Lots of different opinions there with regards to um, uh, different score lines. But look, regardless, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think yeah. it'll certainly be a difficult game for Newcastle United. And look, it's, it'll be very interesting to see how that unfolds. But um, look, um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Neil. No, no problem. Absolute pleasure to have you on. I'm going to let you go just before I um, run down the sponsors because I know I've kept you slightly longer than I intended to. But it's such a fantastic chat. I really appreciate it. And in the in the in, in the kind of the the reverse fixtures, it'd be great to have you on again. Yeah, it's February, isn't it? It's the third week of February, I think. So uh, definitely no shadow of a doubt. And I think that weird things will have happened somewhere by then. And I think that, you know, that'll be that'll be an interesting game as well, because I think it'll be another marker point for Newcastle. And that's the best way to view these games, no matter what the result is. The marker points for, for the marker points for every team, but the marker points, I think, for, for what Newcastle are trying to do. But thank you very much to have, for having me. Thanks for all the kind comments. And I'll see everyone later. Neil, top man, you take care. And we'll speak to you soon. See you later. Thank you to Neil for joining us. Superb guest, as always. He was brilliant last time with myself and Chris Hall. Um, and it, it's a pleasure to have him on the show. Real, real top guest. And this is what we do on away days. We get, you know, fans from the opposition that know their stuff. Fantastic guests like Neil from the Anfield Rap. And if you don't know the Anfield Rap, go and give them a subscribe. Um, also, as well, um, go and give them a follow on social media, on Twitter as well, and, and show your support. Um, for the Anfield wrap. Um, look, there's 170 uh, in the chat still, um, but we've only got about 60 or 70 thumbs up. So click that thumbs up before you head off. Make sure you support the channel. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to ensure that we can uh, grow as a channel, that people can see this show and see the fantastic conversations that we've had with Neil tonight. So just click those thumbs up on the way out. Let's push them up as far as we can. And of course, um, you know, it's been a great show. It's going to be an interesting game Wednesday. Um, not sure how it's going to pan out. I said 3-1, um, but I think it all depends on who's going to be available. Uh, fingers crossed, Isaac is available because he, he still hasn't got 
as far as I'm aware, his work permit yet. So we don't know how that's going to work and how that's going to go through. But look, before we end the show, as always, um, uh, we need to go through the sponsors. And look, Simon's been in the chat, massive supporter of the channel. As always, Shy Burns, www.shyburns.com. And make sure you go check out their website for all their clothing gear, fantastic gear that's available, hats, hoodies, tops, bottles, and of course, the new gear in there, the away days gear. Uh, we do love playing away, and I'll be finishing off with that in just a second. The one thing I haven't got, I haven't shown you, is the Brazil, the yellow Brazil uh, away days top, which I've just spoke to Simon today, and I can't wait to get that ordered and delivered because uh, I'll be wearing that for away day shows. There is no doubt about it. So get involved, check out the website, get yourself a top, and show your support, not just for Simon and Shy Burns, but also Loaded as well pins and prints uh get you show your support for pins and prints all fantastic prints that fantastic goal against Feyenoord never ever forget that one um uh, as well Ben Arthur um and as well Trippier uh with the the pins and the the prints obviously I talked about Fabian Shaw before lots of mix and matches available as well to show your support um and of course uh Martin at Machine House um, go and show your support for Martin at Machine House and all their quality gear. Lots more gear to come as well, so keep an eye on that. And if you haven't checked out their website, make sure you check out their website too and everything that's going on. Become a member. Click that blue button that you can see on the screen right now. $1.99 a month, but it makes a massive difference to the channel. Uh, show your support and become part of the Loaded family. We are less than 500 subscribers away from that magic 5K subs. Imagine that, just uh, just over a year and we've, we, we make 5K. That's an unreal achievement for us as a channel. So please show your support. Lots of one or two new faces in the channel. Click that subscribe on your way out. Show your support for Loaded Mag NUFC as well. Um, and that's it, guys. That's it. A fantastic show. Really, really enjoyed that with the Anfield Wrap with Neil. Um, could talk to him all day. We could have made it a two-hour show if we needed to, um, but we we weren't in a in a um, in a position to do so because we've got so much coming up. So be aware that there could be some snapshot shows just made off the bounce with everything transfer related that could be happening over the next few days. We've got the game against uh, Liverpool on Wednesday, but. Do not miss this on Thursday. Loaded Mag NUFC deadline day. Um, we are back. Okay, the deadline day special. If you watched it in January, you will know we're going and doing a long stretch. We will be back talking all things transfers on deadline day. Fingers crossed we get a few new faces through the door. Um, and that we're talking about those new boys that could come in and make a massive difference to Newcastle United. So keep an eye on this show. Coming on Thursday, it is one not to be missed. That is for sure. Um, that's it. You guys have a fantastic evening. Um, we'll be back, and I'm sure keep an eye on Loaded Mag NFC Twitter for any shows that will be coming up and popping up last minute. I'm sure there'll be one or two, no doubt about it over the course of this week. But until then, we do love playing away. You guys take care. Have a fantastic evening. Speak to you soon.